is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host Brandon, no co-host because it is a Matt Law special. Matt, how is it going? International break time. Have you got your nap in yet? <laughs> well, usually I'd be going away to uh, with England, but we didn't get enough passes for for Naples. The Italian FA are quite stingy. So I'm I'm sitting at home, but that might be a good thing because with my um, with my other hat on of covering Tottenham, I might yet have a very busy end to my week. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm probably good where I am in London. Thanks. Yeah, I was laughing before. It seems like you know because you you wrote the piece on on Tottenham and the mentality, and they haven't won trophies. They've had these great managers and. And I'm assuming you're getting a bunch of aggro as anti-Spurs. And I'm sure it happens when you write something Chelsea fans don't maybe like. You get a bunch of aggro that you're anti-Chelsea. Yeah, although it's funny. You write some things that um, that are obviously have a negative slant on them at a negative time for the club. But yeah, some things people agree with. I Actually, that Spurs article, I mean, it was an incredible stat. In the last 10 managers, permanent managers, Levy's employed in 20 years. They've won 61 trophies between them before and after managing Tottenham. And at Tottenham, they've managed to win one trophy. Um, but the no, the, the piece actually got a lot of people agreeing with it. I think Tottenham fans are, are having to accept the reality of the situation. But you're right. When um, when I'm deemed to write what, what fans call anti-pieces, which are usually just uh, sort of pieces when things aren't going very well, I do get accused of being a fan of both clubs and don't often get accused of being a fan of Fitler. <laughs> the irony um like i said conte had a huge falling out with chelsea he's having a huge falling out with spurs are there any parallels or is just antonio conte being antonio conte yeah look there are parallels because there are parallels to be drawn at, at all the clubs he's managed because everybody knows what conte does and some some people criticize him for it. other people understand it's just his way uh, what he tends to do is go in, uh, have a big impact, and then obviously make big demands to go with that to then what he believes he can follow through. Um, I have some sympathy with him because I think in Conte's mind, he always looks at some other managers who he, he always believes have been given uh, greater opportunity than him. I think probably Pep Guardiola would be at the top of that list. Um, whereas he felt he's always forced to fight for things and sort of fight with what he feels aren't quite the best tools everyone will have an opinion on that but so there are there are some similarities to be drawn yes all right well let's go ahead uh talking about some of the the chelsea stuff um look we were riding high into the international break unfortunately letting everything back in twice ended potter's three-game win streak four unbeaten you know there's silver linings in there and it turned it into like i said the undefeated streak how how was the mood around the team and Potter, you know, obviously pulling Real Madrid in the Champions League? Um, how are they doing kind of post that little hiccup? Yeah, well, post the other two, I mean, in the, in the immediate aftermath, which is when I last saw them, it felt like a defeat. Uh, Graham Potter was was trying to um, remember the positives and there were positives. The, the overall performance was pretty good. Um Again, the shape looked better and things like that. And and certain players are starting to look look more at home in their positions and things. And some players are looking fitter. So there were positives. But um, yeah, it, the, the nature of it felt like a defeat. And the fact it was to Everton and the team they should they should beat at home. As you say, I think that they are four and beaten. I think there is 
still some momentum to be taken from that run for when the, they restart after the international break. Uh, but it was a it was a it was a down it was a down feeling for sure and and understandably so because you know if they could have gone in with the four wins they I think that the interesting thing now is when they come back is when we're going to really see how much progress has been made because they've got a tough run of games up till the end of the season now and they still I don't think have beaten a, a team in the top half or above them or something so they need to put that right so yeah um, yeah they were they were feeling down after that Everton game. Yeah, well, I mean, it definitely felt like that. Obviously, having the lead twice in in you know lose, losing it against. But look, when you this part of the season and you play teams towards the bottom, when you have ten teams in a potential relegation battle, they're going to fight to the end, and that's what we saw with Everton. That you know they're fighting for their jobs, they're fighting to keep that financial payday up uh, because they go to the championship. It is a lot different. Um, drawing around Madrid with City and Bayern on the other side of the Champions League. About yeah, his... look, I, 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 I spoke to some people in the club about that. And actually, the day of the draw, there was genuine real excitement. The, the view wasn't, oh, shit, we've drawn Real Madrid and we might face Bayern Munich and, and Man City. The, the view was, this is fantastic. This is a great draw. And imagine if we win the Champions League now. We'll have won it by beating AC Milan twice in the group stages, Borussia Dortmund... Um, Real Madrid and either a Bayern Munich and a Man City and then whoever came in the final. I mean, the, the list of clubs would be absolutely fantastic. And actually, this was before the Everton game, which obviously brought a little bit of a low. But on the day the draw was made, I promise you, the only the only feedback I got was genuine excitement and no sort of licking wounds or feeling sorry for themselves. They, they're, they're you know, the, the owners are here for this. This is what the owners are here for. The owners are here for games against Real Madrid. The owners are here for games against Bayern Munich. The owners are here for games against Man City. As we saw after the result against Everton, Todd Bowley does not enjoy draws with Everton or probably games with Everton. So that I, I, even with that Everton game, I still think they'll be excited about the Real Madrid match. I would say about the Everton game, and I think we touched on this in the match reviews, that it wasn't the stale run of games where Chelsea were going sideways, offered nothing. I mean, the vertical passes were still there. You know, a bit of a lack of finishing. Um, and, and honestly, it was just a lack of defending on the day is what, what hurt Chelsea and Matt, I would say that you're maybe not the favorite of the, of the goalkeepers at Chelsea. Cause this summer you <laughs> talked about Mendy's distribution and you said he gave you the cold shoulder in the U S yeah, and now you wrote an article him. about Keppa maybe having a ceiling that Chelsea need to get beyond, um, I, I, I understand. Didn't think, I didn't think my, um, my piece about Kepa. I, I thought was relatively balanced. I, I tried to be fair to him because I don't, I think Kepa has improved and I don't think he's had a bad season. I think he's had at times a good season and I, I really respect his attitude. I think his attitude and character he's shown throughout his Chelsea career, particularly since that, that league cup final when he refused to come off the pitch. Um, but in fighting back from that and fighting back to, to win his place back and going through some very low times, I actually really respect him. But I also feel it's it's worth being truthful about my opinion and no one has to share my opinion. But my opinion is, is as you say, he has a ceiling and his ceiling is not high enough for a club of Chelsea's, a club with the ambition of Chelsea. It just, it just isn't. And I think the proof is there. I think it's quite hard to actually argue against, to be honest with you. I mean... The proof's been there for years, and it's it's still there. I mean, we see it with our own eyes. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, even with with Mendy, you know, obviously went on the most amazing run to win the Champions League. I mean, he was in the form of everyone's life to that. Uh, we didn't get to see the same Mendy in the following season, and now Kepa's kind of gone in. And while things were good for the most part, Everton, I think, just kind of reminded everybody that Chelsea should probably be looking for a goalkeeper. One thing you did bring up, though, was the Courtois exit. I don't think we've talked to you about that. I think our kind of uh, pod hangouts started after that. It was a wild time. They knew he wanted to leave. Marina held on for hope, and then it was too long. And then we we backed ourselves in the corner and bought Keppa for seventy-two million or you know whatever it is on a seven-year contract. He's now out in twenty twenty-five of contract, which Mendy is as well. Interesting. Um, any, how did you read the Courtois situation and kind of, from a fan's perspective, you know, it kind of seemed like Chelsea should have had better grasp on that. Yeah. I mean, I had sympathy with Chelsea over that because, uh, Courtois, and I'm, I'm having to obviously go back in my memory a little bit here, but as I remember it, Courtois sort of dang, kept dangling hope in front of Chelsea, um, he kept he kept leaving them with the impression he was ready to sign and then not signing now i can't quite remember why that would have been if i'm honest with you i wrote a lot about it at the time i remember there was a spell where i was writing courtois stories every week um in terms of chelsea were going back with a new improved offer courtois was looking like he might accept it then all of a sudden courtois wasn't accepted blah 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 blah, blah. chelsea made good offers to courtois i mean his situation with Salah and De Bruyne is different because Salah and De Bruyne left because they weren't playing and weren't being given opportunities. And the club or the coach at the time weren't showing enough belief in them. Chelsea was showing belief in Courtois. They were making him big offers. But he he was it, it proved that he was really waiting to see whether Real Madrid would actually make that move for him. My criticism of the club of it is they let the situation run too long. And I think people involved would maybe maybe sort of agree with me on that now, that they should have probably been decisive earlier. Because by the time they got round to sort actually sorting the situation out, they were in all kinds of trouble. I mean, someone once described it to me that the water was up here on them. They were drowning, basically. They'd let the water get too high. Um, and then they panicked. And they first of all went for, I mean, again, what is forgotten is that the, the first person they went for was Alison Becker. Um, and then again, crazily, the reason they didn't get Alison Becker is they thought that Liverpool had overpaid for Alison Becker because in that same summer, Alison for a while became the world's most expensive goalkeeper. And then all of a sudden they were in an impossible situation and ended up setting their own transfer record on Kepa. So it was um, it was a difficult summer and, and that was that whole Courtois... Allison Kepa thing was was actually a really really difficult time for them and and as I said before it, it felt like at times they were slightly drowning they'd let the situation run on run too far but I, I I stand by the fact that I think and I know he's not popular with the fans but I think losing Courtois is every bit as as big as losing Salah and De Bruyne I mean for me he's the best goalkeeper in the world at the moment yeah he's had a really good run obviously uh, you know he's had some downs and he's come back and and proven so he's definitely one that got away um as we as we look at mendy and keppa uh i was looking at transfer market and i believe both of them their contracts are out in 2025 this summer yeah 
So the club are in an interesting situation. We've talked about, do they need to put Mendy back in at some point to get a run to see where he's at? Um, what do they do with Gaga Slonina? Do they rate him that high? It sounds like he's oh, done well for the dev squad. Yeah. They definitely rate him that high, but I mean, it's, it's very tough to to think about throwing throwing him in even at the start of next season or anything like that. I, I would have thought I think it's too early for that. Uh, the Mendy situation is really interesting. I mean, I wrote in the piece that it'd be interesting to see now whether he gets another look at before the end of the season because uh, what I think what we all struggle with with Mendy is to know whether the Champions League season is really him or whether that was just an except like you described it before some sort of exceptional incredible run that he'll never be able to replicate in terms of his form and we don't quite know that yet because you can't really say it's not based on on one dip in his form you need to see whether he can come back but because of his contract situation because the things the way have gone on, on, on Mendy there is I haven't had said this to me explicitly but there just feels like and negativity around him, like it's only really heading one way with Mendy. Um, that can change. That can change. I, I think they definitely need a new goalkeeper in the summer. And, and as I wrote again, wrote in the piece, I don't think the time is to try and fudge it with with someone who might just challenge Kepper and who might come in and, and be someone where they, you know, we've we've heard about having two number ones before and, and things like that. They need to sign a number one. And signing a number one doesn't necessarily mean spending another seventy million pounds. We've seen. Arsenal got a number one in Aaron Ramsdale for cheaper. There are goalkeepers out there. The goalkeeper's a position where you can find a number one for not the world record types of sums. But I think they need to go and get you know, confident in one because I, I don't think, I, I don't think, I mean, people might argue on Tottenham with Lloris, but I don't think there's a club in the top half of the Premier League who would take Kepler. And I don't think, I mean, my own club, Villa, are one place below Chelsea. We wouldn't take Kepler over Emiliano Martinez, no chance. Um, there might not, there might, there might not really be any other clubs that would even take Kepa. To be honest with you, I mean that that's, and I'm not really trying to be disrespectful to him. He's just, he's he's an okay goalkeeper, you know. He's a good, okay goalkeeper, but no one's going to rush out to to swap their goalkeeper for him. Yeah, and that's the situation we find ourselves in. So, uh, look, I want to make sure we had a goalkeeper conversation. I thought it'd be interesting, um, but yeah, also. Um, they're going to have to see, uh, I'm, I'm going to circle back with Phil on Gaga and kind of see what he thinks. Uh, it seems like Gaga's traveling more. It seems like he's with the first team pretty regularly yeah. now. So there's clearly been an elevation in his status within the team. Clearly, uh, clearly. And he's clearly someone they want around the first team squad because, and when teams do that, it's very clear that there's a, a progression and a, a future planning going on. Um, but it would be absolutely remarkable to see him um, sort of given an actual first team chance yet. Um, maybe next season in the Cups or something, I don't know. But it's even so, what is he, 19, something like that? I think so, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, it would be pretty unprecedented for a goalkeeper who, who's come from overseas um, at that age too. And, and a huge risk. And as I say, if they've got the, if you look through the history of the teams who've done well, and the managers who the new managers who have come into clubs and done well, they've all gone and signed what they feel is a number one goalkeeper. They've all done it. Arteta's done it. Pep did it. Pep actually got through a couple. Klopp obviously did it. It, it feels like it just feels like you have to do that if you're going to get to your ambitions. That's what you have to do. It's such such an important. I mean, I don't need to tell you. I'm preaching to the converted here, but 
it is people talk about strikers, but goalkeeper is the most important position. Yeah, uh, Gaga or Gabriel is still 18 until May. So 18, he's been wow. a starter in the MLS as a 17-year-old. Yeah. Um, so he's got time. That's good. All right, I'm going to hit our first ad break when we get back. Uh, I got a question about Conte. One other thing about the international break and then summer plans. So thank you to sponsors and we'll be right back. All right, Conte didn't come in against Everton. I think as a group, we kind of went back and forth. Yeah, it would have been a big boost to the team. But at the same time, Everton liked to kick you. Would it be worth losing him again, potentially over 20 minutes against Everton? So what? Uh, how is Conte looking? How do we think he's doing? Will we see him right away after the break, you think? Well, this is a big week for Kante. Um, we talked about it with Potter afterwards. I think he said his training his training was going to be Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and a behind-closed-doors game towards the end of the week, probably internal, but maybe external in terms of a team coming in. Um, I think they'll keep it internal, though, because I want to be sure that no one does anything silly with him. Um, but this, this week, funnily enough, we were talking a lot about international break with, with Potter, and he said, I only really have about four players. One of them is Kante, and it gives them a, a week of work with Kante with a behind-closed-doors game. It feels like a really, really important week or so for Kante. And you would hope, you would definitely hope that by the time they then come back, he's ready to be on the pitch, whether probably in terms of coming on as a substitute with the with the idea of getting, in, getting up to speed in, in time for that Real Madrid match to maybe start, I'd imagine. Um, but, yeah... The, I, I suspect my reading of him being on the bench for the Everton game was he was there to potentially come on in a scenario where the game was sort of finished. Um, had Chelsea been leading by a couple of goals and the game really petering out, I think we might have seen Kante on for five or ten minutes to give him a lift, to give the crowd a lift. But with the game so finely poised and, as you said, Everton fighting so hard, it wasn't the game to take a risk. And I know there are a lot of frustrations out there of if we'd have brought him on with five minutes, it would have brought the crowd up. It would have, have just got them over the line. But I mean, and it might have done, but as if but some maybes and it's slightly fantasy land tour. I mean, the guys had that bad of injury problems. You can't take a risk on him. So I, I, I understood why. And I, like I said, I thought he was probably only on the bench in the scenario to get on if the game was actually done and dusted. Right. So talk about the, Closed doors match, not a lot of people around, so they'll kind of source it in, amongst themselves just a little bit easier. I mean, I, I mean, are those easy to organize in general? Be just because you have lower level teams that don't have nearly as many players away? Is that kind of how it works? You find someone who's localish in the region, so it's an easy travel. Yeah, things like that. Um, obviously, all the coaches have their sort of mates at different clubs and things like that as well. And that's right. whether they take a, whether they even just take a few from their own development squad and try to do it that way and, and then supplement it. Who knows? Who knows? But there are, there are loads of ways around it and loads of ways to approach it. And it was clear he, it was clear that Graham knew what they were going to do, but didn't quite want to give us that detail. Um, but the big thing being, he will actually play a match this week, which will be his first match of any description since, since August. It's interesting as well, because it's also very clear that they're being super careful on injuries these days. Super careful. I mean... You know, I know Mount thought he was physically fit to play against Leicester, and yet the club didn't want to take a risk. There was a point in last week where where the feeling was that Mount would have been physically fit to, to report with England, hence he got caught up by England. And yet again, 
having done a scan on in the club again no we, we don't want to risk a setback you know, they've been way more careful than they've ever been in the past that's for sure well Conte contract extension any updates look I, I keep hearing that everything's very positive that um, it's on the verge of being agreed if not already verbally agreed uh, I, I, I think it's a case of timing now to be honest with you um, of, of when they want to actually finish it off and, and announce it. I, I keep getting told there's no problems. I keep getting told, yep, everyone's very positive. It's it's all there. It's all pretty much done. So let's hope that still is the case. Do you think the club want to see him play again or they're not worried about could that? Be that? It could be that. I mean, clubs have all kinds of ways. I mean, some clubs like to announce these things at a time when a player achieves something and they do it around the achievement. They like to sometimes, some clubs like to do it around a big game. They they have all kinds of reasoning for this. They might want to just see him, as you say, play one or two games just to literally get that over the line before everyone sits down and just signs the thing and announces it. Um, but yeah, the feeling is, is it, it's pretty much there. And that's been the feeling for, for weeks now, to be honest with you. So you open the door. You said the the lightning rod word mount. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we've talked about mount so much. I don't really know what's left to say on mount. To be honest, you asked me some questions. I don't know. I got you. What's left to say? It seems like people are twisting it per usual. That he's injured. He's not injured. The club have bad intentions. They're holding him back. This whole called up to England, but he can't play for Chelsea. Like apparently his side are briefing that he was healthy and fit and ready to play. It we're getting to that point where like there's more noise around this than than before, and it's like people trying to poison the water in some things. Is it as bad as what social media and a lot of people who say they know what's going on is, or do we feel like it's still on track? Mason just added someone to help his dad negotiate. It's it's never. It's never as bad as social media would make out. Um, look, the, the short and long of it is, is the longer it goes on without him signing, the more likelihood there probably is of them having to consider a bid in the summer. Because if he hasn't signed up in the summer, they're going to have to consider bids. He'll have one year left. That's that's the long and short of it. That's the fact of it. In terms of the to and the throwing, I don't think that him uh, employing a new agent sways it one way or the other you can make an argument for both on that you can make an argument for oh yeah that must make it look more likely he's going to leave or you can argue well in actual fact the dad has has never been an agent before and in terms of negotiating with Chelsea which has obviously been dragging on maybe it's to help that so you can make an argument both ways on that um and people will make arguments on both ways on that in terms of his fitness there is to in and fro in Graham Potter tried to explain a little bit the other day to us that he's got quite an odd problem. Um, it's this kind of pelvic injury whereby he will go through spells of feeling absolutely fine and then he will just get some pain again and he has to pull himself back again. I know from his own perspective and from the club's perspective, and this is regardless of what the future he sees the run after the international break as being huge for him and huge for Chelsea. They've got huge games coming up. They've got tough games coming up. They've got a Champions League run coming up. He wants to be part of it. 
he does not want to set himself back by playing 60 minutes against Ukraine or 60 minutes against Everton and then find he's out for four weeks. He wants to be part of that running. Whatever you think about his future, whatever, he's desperate to be part of that running. And Chelsea, as well, even though he hasn't been starting games and this is out on his future, are also desperate to have him available for that running. So that's where the fitness comes in. As I said before, they're being super careful on the fitness. There was a confusion around the England call-up. To be quite honest, I'm not really sure what's gone on because Chelsea have pointed the finger towards England. England have pointed the finger towards Chelsea in terms of why he was called up. And then within 24 hours, we were told he shouldn't have been called up. Quite frankly, I don't know what's gone on there. But there's been okay. there's been a confusion and there's been a dispute, you know, not between Mason and Chelsea, not between Mason and England, but between England and Chelsea, there has been a dispute over that. It happens. I've covered England for lots of years. We've had loads of disputes with Liverpool players being called up, pulled out, stuff like that. We actually haven't had many with Chelsea players. The weird thing with Chelsea on this one is that Chelsea and England clearly worked very closely on Raheem Sterling because there were statements put out at about the same time about his fitness. It feels like there's been a confusion and a dispute around Mason, but that's between England and Chelsea, not between the player and anybody. Cool. Um, it is weird because we haven't seen him for so long. You know, who who comes out of the lineup? It's just starting to look settled. Well, this this is it. It is, it is difficult for that. And I mean, the Real Madrid draw actually brought back the memories. You know, Mason scored that brilliant goal in the Bernabeu. And, and who'd have thought that we'd be here in 12 months where we're debating his future and debating how he gets back in the team? And, and yeah, for sure. I mean, as a Villa fan, I will be delighted if he's not available for the Villa game because he always does well against Villa. Always does well against Villa. You're a Villa fan? <laughs> so long may it continue that he sits on the bench for that game. Um, but Mason's, Mason is the kind of guy, and we saw it with England actually, who can, it, if he's on the bench and he's looking like you, you sort of forget he's around, you know, the, the World Cup was a funny World Cup with him because he had a brilliant first game. He had a quiet second game like a lot of the teams did. He lost his place and people started, you know, the online trolls and stuff again started to talk about Oh, Mason, you know, not really doing it for England. People forget he came off the bench in that that France game and immediately won the penalty that, that we all thought Kane would score. And you wouldn't put it past him to be on the bench for a Real Madrid game and and come on and, and make an impact because he has he has that ability about him. As you say, if you're actually naming the starting team at the moment, it's a little bit tricky to see where he fits in. Albeit, were he available for the Everton game, I think he would have probably started instead of Pulisic maybe. And being being given a go in that that lineup, so we'll see. All right, well, got to love it. Uh, just shortly, um, it seems like the summer plans are starting to come into focus. Um, we touched on Mount, obviously Kovacic. He's recently become the captain, you know, in the absence of Silva. Um, with I think with- it's really interesting what's going on with Kovacic because. Um, I mean, I wrote the story that Man City have shown an interest with him, which is definitely genuine, by the way. Because um, Gundogan's even there, it seems like, right? Yeah, and Sil- Bernardo Silva might leave as well. So even if they sign Bellingham, there's, there's every chance they'll sign more than uh, one midfielder. And clearly, if they sign Bellingham, the, the other midfielder they sign isn't going to be a huge money signing, you wouldn't have thought. Um, Pep has a historical like of Kovacic. He's tried to sign him for City before. He came on the pitch against when he played against them 
in the, the January, I think it was, when he had a very good game against them in the league. Pep made a beeline for Kovacic on, on the pitch, which he does tend to do with transfer targets. Um, and there's a genuine interest there, and there's not been any sign that he's renewing at the moment. But since then, since all this has been going on, Graham Potter has been quite clever. He's made him captain, and he's kind of said, he's given a very clear sign to, to Kovacic, no matter what's happening, you're my guy. You know, we've, we've had players leave, you're my guy, I want to put the responsibility on you, you're my captain. I think Kovacic has responded really well with a lot of his performances. I think his performances of late have been good. He looks fitter than he's looked in a while to me. He looks in good shape. Um, and it's just an interesting situation with Kovacic at the moment because I, I really think Potter has tried to give him the sign from his point of view that he wants him to stay and that he wants to put trust and faith in him and give him a big role. Um, it's whether he he still sees himself as part of that Chelsea fabric and whether there's the offer there that would, would satisfy him. Um, but yeah, he's he, he's been good lately and I think... I think it's interesting that he's had the captain's armband. He has done so well, especially Dortmund. You know, in that yeah. one, we were there. We saw it. Um, he ran, 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 and put in the effort. My only concern with uh, coming up on 12 months left is, like, it's almost a little too little too late. Like, the injuries are always a concern. Like, is he really going to turn the corner from that? But he is in a really good form. Like, I will never not take a, a happy Kovacic. He's such a great guy to have around when, when things are going for him. So... Um, Zakaria, it seems like the club maybe have already kind of put cold water on this of him staying. Yeah, I'd be surprised if he stayed. I mean, I, I haven't actually asked specifically, so I don't. I, this is this is me and my opinion rather than uh, any information. But I, I'd be surprised. He had a little run where his role seemed to increase, but that that's dropped back down again. Um, yeah, I don't I don't really see why they would go and buy him. Um, He's been an okay loan signing. He's he's fulfilled a he's he's kind of done what he was there for to, to make up the numbers and come in. And he's probably done better than a lot of people expected, actually. Um well, after not seeing him for almost three months. Well, this is it. Yeah, this is it. I mean, it's very, very clear that, that Thomas Tuchel uh wasn't on board with that signing. Um but he's done fine and the the loan will have worked for him either way, because I think he will come out of this loan um with his reputation enhanced if he doesn't move to Chelsea he will get a move out of it Juventus will will do well out of the loan because they will be able to sell him maybe to a Premier League club because Premier League clubs have seen him over here so I think the loan the loan wins um I would be very very surprised if Chelsea signed him and I, I yeah. don't think it'd be the right thing to do yeah Joao Felix he's he, we're all trying to figure him out as well right he finally got his yeah. goal so we're we're done hitting off the post and out. Apparently, we've graduated hitting the post and going in. Flashes <laughs> of brilliance. I don't think he has an XGA at all. I like <laughs> as far as setting up other players. Um, he's missed a boatload of chances, but he's also created and scored some chances. So I think, especially with the price tag that might be attached to him, I think a lot of Chelsea fans are just hoping to squeeze as much juice out of him as we can right now, but like very much on the fence. I'm on the fence too. I'm on the fence. I mean, before that, actually, if we'd have had this discussion before the Everton game, I might have, I might have said not to, because my complaint would have been that for all the wonderful footwork and work that I wasn't seeing the end product. Like you say, I wasn't seeing the assists and there was the only the one goal there. 
Now we scored against Everton, which kind of puts me back on the 50-50 fence and almost let's see how the rest of the season goes. I want to see more more end products if they're going to sign him. I want to see more actual impact on the match rather than impact on the eye because um, he's great on the eye. We could watch him all day. I love watching him. I haven't seen a player as, as nice on the eye and as good to watch at Chelsea probably since Hazard. Um, but I haven't been seeing the impact in the match enough in terms of goals and assists for the amount of money. I mean, you at least have to pay 70, 80 million at least. And the wages would be huge. Um, and there is the fear with him. And I always have this fear with loan players of what happens after the loan, because it, at the end of the day, the, a loan is a shop window, particularly a short-term loan. It's not a season-long loan. And a short-term loan becomes a shop window and an opportunity for someone to do it in a short space of time. And it's hard then to weigh up against whether you're seeing the reality of what the player will bring or just the, the best of what the player might bring. And yeah, um, I'd, I'm completely on the fence with it. Completely sure? on the fence. Yeah. Let's see. And we've only also seen him because of the nature of the games Chelsea have had. We've also only really seen him against inferior opposition or what should mm -hmm. be inferior opposition. Let's see him against the top teams now. Chelsea have got a hard run of games after this international break. Let's see him against the top teams. If he can produce and actually impact matches against the top teams, then it will be very hard for them not to. But on the other hand, people read this differently from the press conference. I read his Champions League press conference ahead of Borussia Dortmund as if Chelsea don't make the Champions League, I didn't get the impression he would be keen to stay with no Champions League football. I, I got the impression that he, he would be only keen to stay with Champions League football. He's played Champions League football pretty much all his life. Yeah, it's a... Yeah, a weird posturing game. Any updates on Pulisic? It also seems like the verdict is he's out this summer. Is it a clean cut? Is that? I think the I think the, the verdict is certainly they will listen to bids this summer. Um, yeah, I, is he another one with two years left on his contract? I'm, I think so. so many of the contracts with two years, but yeah, I think I think Pulisic is another one with two years. Um, yeah, I think it's a it's certainly a listen to bid summer. Yeah, 2024. So he's actually getting close to 12 oh, well, months left. Yeah. So that's that's even more pressing. So yeah, um, they'll be hoping for bits on on Pulisic. I I would imagine. I mean, certainly back in January, it was very much try and drum up interest for him from the World Cup. Um, so I'd imagine this period again. Let's see if they can drum up some interest because we all forget. We keep talking about you know. You just asked me about should they sign Felix uh, permanently. They've got Nkunku coming in. That deal is done. And Nkunku is joining. And mm -hmm. he is not an out-and-out -out striker. He can play. He might end up playing, depending on where all the transfers end up and how the squad ends up, he might end up playing that sort of nine-role nine, nine role for Chelsea. But he is not an out-and-out -out striker. Ideally, he's actually more likely to be one of the two behind a striker or something like that. Um and he, he is joining and he will start games. So, again, you've got to add that into the mix of all these players' futures. Havertz has, has come into some form, but he's only got two years left. Yeah, fans would just love to see the consistent thing from him too. So, exactly. it's again, not easy. When, when we talk about Havertz, I've been very definite uh, this season on I, I would sell Havertz, and I'm, I'm sticking to that. He, he will have to do it a lot more consistently over the, over the run-in to, to change my mind that this isn't, 
another Havertz flash in the pan rather than a, a big change of direction of his career. Yeah, I hear you. All right, last ad break when we're back. Uh, a little bit of future-proofing of the club, so thank you to the sponsors. We'll be right back. All right, Matt, uh, when are we going to France, and who are we buying? And then we got to go to Portugal, buy another <laughs> club. Uh, just the Tour de Boli, Strasbourg, eh, which I'm sure is not how you pronounce it in French, um, seemed to be the first on the menu, an appetizer, maybe? Yeah, the club aren't commenting on that. I mean, we, a few of us have taken that to the club, and they're, they're not offering any comment or guidance either way, which would suggest to me there are things happening in the background, but they are refusing to comment on it completely. Um, we know that France is one of the regions they want. We know that Portugal is one of the reason, regions they definitely really want. Um, and we know that probably South America will be, be another region they want. I don't think Belgium is high on the list at the moment. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're, they've got competition, though. I mean, a lot of these clubs, Villa have just bought a Portuguese club. Villa bought Vitoria. Um, Newcastle are buying, going to buy probably a French and a Portuguese club. I'm uncomfortable with it. I don't think it's great for football if we're going to have every top half Premier League club owning three or four different European clubs. And, and now the door is being opened for the rules to be relaxed on the ownership around playing in the same competitions, which does make me uncomfortable. But it's way, whether I like it or don't like it, it doesn't really matter because it's the way that football is going, clearly. Um, and yeah, they're going to do it. You know, they're going to do it. It might take, I've, I've always been told it, it, it will probably take a little bit of time. It's not something that's going to happen immediately. Um, but it, it's it's there and it, it's it's happening in there. It would suggest that they're in talks with Strasbourg without the, the comment. I think they've had a bid for a Portuguese team turned down. No doubt there'll be another Portuguese team comes up. And there'll be stuff we don't know about with with those with those clubs as well. This just goes back to the never-ending list. Like, what in the world, when they put in that bid and they did that 100-day review, I would have left there, like, fried. I would have put in my resignation and like, Todd, you are doing too much. <laughs> I'm out. Like, we think of everything they've done. You think of all the signings that have happened, all the changes in front of the camera and behind the camera. And we haven't even gotten to the stadium yet. And now they're potentially acquiring clubs. Well, the groundsman, like the groundsman's just gone. I mean, it, the, the rate of change is remarkable. I mean, there is an argument that it's too much too too quickly because uh, obviously changing that much so quickly brings about its own challenges and problems. Um, and there's definitely an argument on that. But then counter argument is they want to they want to do it their way. And if they start doing it as quick as possible, then they'll reap that they will reap the rewards quicker than before. But I'm with you. I mean, I've, I've said to people around the club, I've said, I don't know I don't know how you guys sleep. I don't know when you sleep. I don't know how you try and juggle everything. I, I do not know where you find the hours in the day for this. I do not know where you find the people who have got the headspace to have one huge project going on here and another huge project going on here. Uh, yeah, I, I would find it dizzyingly, dizzyingly difficult to keep on top of. Even from a reporting perspective, I've I've stopped actually reporting on some of it um, just because, the co you know, it, it doesn't even feel like the constant change is a story anymore. You know, at the start when they first came in, people leaving here, there and everywhere was a good story because it was all new. And they were, the fact that they were changing things so quickly was interesting. It's just what they do now. You know, if you hear that someone's gone now, unless it's a really big personality, 
that's what they do. That's what we kind of expect. This is what they're in the middle of doing. It's it's not it's not even news as such. They've turned it into not being news. Um, you've stopped. Yeah. you've stopped tallying on the board. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you've got to, you've got to pick and you've always got to pick and choose your stories around Chelsea these days because trying to do them all is you would just be writing about them 24, 24 seven and getting into such minute detail. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, they're trying to do everything at once. They are trying to do everything at once. Well, the last one, stadium development. You, We talked about it live at Classic Football Shirts. We were over there. We talked about it before. It maybe seems like there's a little bit of more light being shed onto the the interim plans. Look, the, the big... The big thing, I think, the big next development we are waiting to find out, which I think, where are we on this month? 22nd. Maybe it won't be this month, but in the next few weeks, we will. We should find out whether they've got the Stoll site, the site next to Stamford Bridge. I said on the live podcast that I think they've already got preferred bidder status. Stoll deny that. I think Chelsea's pretty much got it, to be honest with you, but we're waiting for confirmation. That will be the next big development on the stadium plans because if and when they get that confirmed, that uh, points very much in the direction of uh, knocking down the stadium on the current site and rebuilding on the current site. It gives them the scope to do what they want to do on that site. If they can't get the stall site, then maybe they can't do what they want to do on that site. So the stall thing's massive. If and when they get the stall, things things might start to develop a bit more in one direction. In terms of the interim plans, in, what they would do, I, I don't think we are any clearer. I think we always knew that, um, you know, basically Fulham and Wembley are the two most likely options. You could combine Fulham and Wembley. You can play your league matches at, at Fulham and your Champions League and your Category A Wembley, at Wembley so that people aren't having to go to Wembley every week. I spoke to someone quite prominent among the supporters about this the other week, just having a chat. And I said, who was adamant they didn't want to go to Wembley. But when I said to them, well, what about if basically all the Premier League games are at Fulham and the Champions League's at Wembley and maybe the odd game at Wembley where they, they really feel that they, they need to be the same? I said they could probably swallow that. So maybe that is the halfway house that people can accept. I think, you know, quite understandably, the regulars want to know that for 70% of the season at least, that they'll be going, at worst case scenario, down the road to Fulham and not travelling all the way to Wembley and playing in a three-quarter full stadium. Yeah, and I know, look, travelling for American sports and UK sports is different, but I will say that going from southwest London to Selhurst Park was a pain. Like, Chelsea fans going to Selhurst Park just for an away match was a tremendous hassle. I mean, we couldn't get out of there after the women's game against Arsenal. Um, and, and like, those are the, the, the localisms that kind of happen. And like, these are Wembley the, is that, the worst. Wembley's the travel wise. It's the worst, which is a little bit ironic, but yeah, like the fans, like they're already committing a lot of time to go to Chelsea. They built their lives around it and to have it be so disrupted. Like they are legitimate challenges and heaven forbid oh. there's a train strike or anything else that gets in the way. But like am, getting a cab is a unbelievably expensive and also sometimes not as fast either. <laughs> yeah. I mean, getting a cab for anyone who, who sort of has to do regular journeys in London, is just not really, I mean, I, I tell rich people, just because of the job I work and I get to talk to a lot of rich people. Unfortunately, I'm not a rich person. And and they get driven everywhere. And I say, what are you doing getting driven everywhere? Getting driven everywhere in London's the worst thing ever. The traffic's horrendous. 
roads are shut the whole time. It's just the worst. It's the worst way of getting anywhere. So you, you're so reliant on the public transport. I've got to say, I am telling you for a fact that were the club to go purely to Wembley for four, five, six years, they would lose a lot of fans. And quite understandably, a lot of match-going fans would just stop going because it is... I've done it for 18 months with Tottenham before. I obviously go just through my job covering matches to a lot of the cup finals and England matches. Travel-wise there, it's horrendous. It's a horrible journey there. It's horrible to get in there. It's horrible to get out of there. Um, it's okay. It's you know, If you're going for a one-off cup final, it's obviously fun. But if you're having to do it week after week, it's honestly, it's the worst. And people might play their tiniest violins ever listening to this. But honestly, if you've done it and experienced it, and like you say, you've experienced it on, on going to Crystal Palace. It's just a drag. And the thought of people having to do that for years, it would it would stop people going. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced of it. Yeah. No, I hear you. So, um, well, yeah, I mean, Bully, Birad, they're going to keep cooking. Apparently, there's no, no rest for them. But we are, Matt. We're going to chill out <laughs> a little bit. We're done. Thank you for joining us. Hope you enjoy your international break, sir. Yeah, I fear when you say we can have a rest and you call it an international break, I think Tottenham are going to ruin any prospect of that personally. But Let's don't, say. I mean, I feel like you could have done some pre-work on that after the press conference in the flight of Antonio Conte <laughs> fleeing the country. <laughs> yeah, there's something, isn't it? I think this is the first case ever. And I think uh, another reporter called Jack Pickbrook first used this on Twitter, but I love it. First case ever of the dressing room losing the manager interesting usually the manager loses the dressing room first case ever of the dressing room losing the manager I love that's it. wild <laughs> all right we'll figure it out we'll let you take care of that that's spurs problem but anyways matt thanks so much as always check him out links in the description to all of his brilliant articles uh we'll be back with more content later this week so until next time chelsea fans you know what to do Get the blue flag flying high